We want to talk about the Word of God, as we do every week, right? That's what it's about, for His glory. And we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it'll be verses 10 through 17. We're titling this, Building on the Foundation. And from verses 10 to 17, our study is going to be able to, we're going to be able to see the fact that believers' works will be tested, ultimately, before God, to see whether they are worthy of reward. So, boy, that's pretty convicting right off the bat here, isn't it? We could just stop with that, right? But um, we see here that uh, Paul wants a full commitment from the Corinthians. Paul wants a full commitment from every Christian to Christ. If we give anything less than total commitment, we have dishonored God. If we are not giving everything that we have, we are sinning. Is it all about Him? And that's, that's what it's about. That's what Paul is doing in this whole epistle to the Corinthians as he is bringing forth that they need to turn all their attention on Christ. He wants everything. Everything. Every room in your house He wants. So we continue with the problem that uh, the Corinthians had. Now you guys remember from week to week we've been talking about basically one problem. Do you remember what that problem was? Divisions. Schisms there in the church. Well, it's still going on here in, uh, in Corinth as we're into chapter 3 already. As we saw that in, in chapter 1. Uh, so we continue with that problem. And it's really because of the worldly, fleshly behavior of these Corinthians. Which we continue to say every week, this is the church today. This can be us. So we are called to be committed to God's Word. Our immediate passage is looking forward to the rewards for Christians at the second coming of Christ. You can say, well, how does that fit in with divisions? Well, if you hang on for the next few minutes, like an hour, then we we should be able to get that. This is coming right on the heels of the section about fleshly Christians. Do you remember carnal Christians? We did this a couple of weeks ago. We had our missionary here last week. So you kind of have to reach back and think where we were at while I was dealing with carnal Christians, fleshly Christians. And I know, you know, when we think about that, we're thinking about the affections that they have. Their affections are not fully on the Lord. The affections that you have will be lining up with the rewards that you will get. Uh, that's what it comes down to. The return of Christ and rewards should be our motive to live out a Christian life that would honor Christ, to, to serve Him. You know, we all want to hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't we want to hear that? And that is what is dealing with rewards there. We should all get the highest reward that we can get because it's to please God and glorify Him. For we know that the crowns that we have will be cast back to Him. I want as much as I can get so I can cast them back to Him so that He be glorified even more. So we'll stand before the living Lord and give account of ourselves, what we did with what He gave us to God. We'll give an account to Him. And God is the one who judges motives. He judges our hearts. He judges the worthiness of the rewards. 
And you know, I am glad that He is a perfect judge and that He's not a human judge and that He's going to have corrupt judgments or He's going to favor somebody else because of something else and not be uh, justice in it. But this text that we're dealing at, I want you to recognize that it does not deal with judgment of sin and make sure that you know what we're talking about here because we have to remember that the judgment of sin has already happened. The cross took care of our sin, past, present, and future. What we're dealing with here, though, is that even though Christ has paid for our sins in, in every way, there are rewards for good works by believers. It's a good thing to have good works. We are called to, to do good works. So a lot of times we forget about good works because we're talking about the positional aspect and we are justified by grace alone. And uh, we know that because of that faith that God has granted to us in Ephesians 2.10, then for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So once we become Christians, then the good works come into play. The Corinthians were living carnal lifestyles. And when I say uh, carnal, I have to be very careful because I don't like to use the term as it's used loosely today as a carnal Christian, which means he doesn't have to be Lord of your life and you can live as fleshly as you want because you're already saved, so therefore everything's cool. Hey, I'm going to live out the life I uh, would like to in my own flesh and whenever he comes back, everything's cool. We don't believe in that either, do we? But uh, they were living lifestyles that looked like unbelievers in, in a lot of ways. And what happened is they took inferior materials and they built upon the foundation and these inferior materials did not give glory to God. And so their works were rejected by God up to this point. And hopefully Paul will get them turned around here. You know, that's, his, that's his whole point as he writes this, this book. I think it's a very stern warning for them to build on this foundation with the good materials that God does give them. And, the, and they are eternal. Uh, the, the, of course, the gold and the silver and the jewels, those are everlasting. That's the, the good works. So this should have motivated the Corinthians. I would think so, wouldn't you? I hope there's a motivation to them that was going on at that time. Now we get into chapter 3, verse 10. It says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Just for a moment, let's take this to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray 
for the guiding of your Holy Spirit to teach us more what this means to each one of us in this body of Christ. Amen. Verse 10. Dealing with the, uh, an architect here. And whenever he says, uh, according to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder. A master builder. That word is architecton, which I would think that probably every one of you would know what this Greek word means. Not too hard to figure that one out, is it? Don't you like Greek words that are like that? And I love to put those up there. Other ones that get a little technical, I don't always put but uh, this particular one is, is kind of neat. So if you can say architecton, you're saying the Greek word for architecture, uh, architect. So when Paul used this, it meant not only an architect, but even a contractor. Uh, he says he was the wise master builder. Specifically, it is this. It is Paul laying the foundation of Christianity right there in the city of Corinth. He's the one that laid it down. Um, we'll get to that a little bit more specific when we talk about that in a, in a short uh, bit here. But Paul took this gospel of Jesus Christ, took it into every city that he went to, proclaiming uh, Christ crucified. And many cities we know had not heard the gospel. And so he brings it in. They're hearing it for the first time. We know where he teaches. First of all, if he can get into the synagogue, that's the place to go. They have a synagogue, boom. And with all his education, they let him come up there and teach. And so he goes to the Jews first. And whoever uh, uh, trusts in that truth, well, God had them appointed to eternal life. And then the other ones who reject him, he eventually turns now to the Gentiles, and then he preaches the gospel to them. And that's exactly what he does. He was there to teach. He was a disciple of people. And he would water. He would come along and, uh, I mean, plant. He would plant and then somebody else would come along on top of his work and then water that. If you're talking about planting in the agricultural world. Uh, Remember earlier we were talking about watering, working, and that kind of thing. Uh, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Well, now he goes into the building mode here. But you can also think of that planting mode of of him coming along, planting, planting the church. He's a wise master builder. He lays the foundation, the wise master builder. And you would think, wow, sounds like Paul's bragging a little bit here. But you notice he qualifies it according to the grace of God. It's all because of the grace of God that He can minister, that He can do this. Then He comes along, which was given to me. He says, this was given to me, Paul, the apostle, as a wise master builder. You say, wise? Boy, it really sounds like he's really putting it on there, doesn't it? But that's exactly what he is. Just like a wise architect. Just like one of those guys that are going to come along and make it exactly the way it has to be. Perfect. Of course, that perfectness is is Christ Himself. He is the foundation. Uh, But He couldn't brag about Himself. uh, And He didn't choose to be the builder. It was God Himself that chose Him to do that. He was made a minister. He was made a servant. Here He says a a master builder. We've already seen that He is called a, a servant. And so He lays this foundation. He says, I've done this. He was faithful in this ministry. God gave him 
um, this gospel. He preached nothing but the gospel or Christ crucified. Remember, he's already said that to the Corinthians. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Just in case people say, Paul's getting a lot high-minded here, very prideful. He always qualifies his work under this. Verse 10. He says, I was an apostle. I'm an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't empty. But I labored more abundantly, they all. Yet not I, (laughs) but the grace of God which was with me. He says it twice, doesn't he? It was the grace of God as if, now I did more work than anybody else. I labored more hard. He's just telling the truth. And the Holy Spirit is telling him to do that. So he can't do anything but do that. What if God keeps saying, I want all the glory. And then somebody says, that sounds a little selfish to me. Did, did that occur to you guys when you heard, first heard that? It seems like God wants all the glory. You know what? If he wanted a little less than the glory, he'd say, oh, no, no, that's, you know, that's a little much. It's, what would that make him? Less than God. No glory should go to anybody, anywhere, anything but God Himself. He gets all the glory because it's the truth. If it's anything less, then it's, it's not truth, is it? If He said, hey, listen, I don't want all the glory because that makes me look like I'm a, you know, an ogre and it makes me look like a braggart. What's that? Makes you look like God. Or yeah, makes you look like God. <laughs> Which is the whole point, right? Yeah. Because He is God. And why would it be less? If it did, He'd be lying. That's the truth. Somebody who is God can do that. Nobody else can, right? And we, we can only thing we can brag about is Christ Himself, the gospel, what He's done with us. So He was very preach, uh, uh, very faithful in what He was preaching in this gospel. And the words "wise" there, wise master builder, and say, "Wow, you really attack that on." But this is from the Holy Spirit. Sophos, Sophia, uh, wise wisdom. Uh, it was just not spiritual wisdom here. But it also had to do with skills. A wisdom has skill. So Paul knew exactly what he was to uh, do here. He was sent to build a foundation in Corinth and he skillfully did it. And wherever he went after that and before that, he skillfully did that. Every place he went, he delivered this truth. That was his pattern. That was his ministry. He had no other choice than to do that. Lay foundations. And that's what he's telling them right here. Now, the foundation is the teaching. It's the doctrine. It's the principles for the Christian life. Now, he preached the uh, actually the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He preached the mysteries of the new covenant. You look in Ephesians and you see that he preached uh, these mysteries to the Gentiles. Uh, as he got a church going, then he would establish it. And sometime later, somebody else would come along and then build on that foundation as Paul went on to the next place. One of those men was Apollos. And you remember in Corinth, and here now is where this is taking shape. What's their problem? Well, they have divisions. Some were saying, I am of Paul and I of Apollos. Paul's gone. Now everybody's amazed by this Apollos with his eloquent speaking. He's much better than Paul. Paul is just, he's old, you know, old school. You know, get away, Paul. We like this guy. And others said, no, we like Paul. 
And, and so we have. We, we have those schisms. And that's why he's pointing it out very clearly why he is doing and has done what he has done. Paul was very clear, wasn't he? So uh, he established that. Now, if you look in 1 Corinthians 2, same book, right? Chapter 2, verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now, he, first of all, he's talking about those ones who laid the foundation, or he himself and the ones who came along. That, this comes to us, too, eventually. This is truth for us, but when you first read a text, you have to say, who was he writing to and who was saying this? So first, exposit it that way. Verse 13 then says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual so when you have the Holy Spirit, you can understand those too. But he's saying, we laid this down. We might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And as they wrote Scripture, they wrote uh, straight from the Holy Spirit. Um, now we go back to our Corinthians 3. And he says that in verse 10, right at the end of it, after, after he says, I've laid the foundation, another builds on it, but let each one... Take heed how he builds on it. Now this is where not only was it the apostles, and then the ones after the apostles, and the ones after those guys, they're building on the foundation. The foundation's already laid. They don't need any other foundation. The foundation is the very principles. So it's, it's Jesus Christ, right? And so, they were going to do that. And now it comes to 2,000 years later, and this comes right into our church right here. And you're being instructed by Paul and the Holy Spirit who says, let each one take heed how he builds on that foundation. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And he tells Timothy, be strong in the grace. He doesn't tell people to do things without, first of all, telling them they have the grace to do that. And they have the power to do that. And then after that, he says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see what they did? Paul handed it to, to Timothy. Then Timothy handed it down to somebody else. And that faithful man and then men handed it down to others. And that's why we have the Word of God today. That's why we have the same kind of teaching and doctrine that they had 2,000 years ago. You would think in a generation things would change. Well, they do. Because in our lifetimes, we have seen the church get weaker and weaker because the Word of God is not present there. It's not preached. Holy Spirit power is not there teaching the Word of God to people. And they're getting their little stories and their little bit of make them feel good. And they're not teaching the same thing. Right? Here he says, you keep teaching these things. So you keep teaching them to all and you pass that down. That's why the church is still here. God is going to make sure that that's going to happen. Men who build should be faithful. They should be capable. Those who built on the foundation of the apostles, that was for them. First of all, you get in Ephesians, pastors, teachers, evangelists. They did that. 
They had direct responsibility for teaching Christian doctrine. And now all Christians have the responsibility to build on this foundation. We are, we are called to do that. Now, this principle affects every one of us in here today. Every one of us are to be building on that. We are to be careful builders. We're responsible to build and to build with care. Now, that was the wise master builder. As we look in verse 11, a little bit further here, we'll look at our second point, the foundation. You know where I turn to? Ephesians <laughs> chapter 3. We've been in Ephesians chapter 3 on Monday nights. By the way, I'll get a plug and advertisement right here in the middle of... <laughs> Monday nights, not, not tomorrow night, not Monday night. Uh, we will not be there because of Labor Day, but we're going to start our fall sessions. Get excited about it. Uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians. And it's about living out the Christian life. Where the rubber meets the road. And by, the, by all the power that we've been given... We'll go into that. Well, that was that was free. We just took a moment and um, had to give a commercial. You know, no, that uh, it's hopefully that's something that we can all um, build uh, up in and uh, remember. Bring people so that we can disciple them. Bring them. Bring them out. We need new, fresh blood. Okay, foundation. Paul was to lay the foundation. He didn't exactly design the foundation, really, because Jesus Christ is the foundation. There's a t-shirt out there that says, God is my hero, and then he just moved. And underneath there, it says, what? And my rock. He's my rock. He is the foundation. It's all laid upon. We can't build on anything else. The foundation is all of Scripture. Which is pointing to who? Jesus Christ. Uh, tradition is not the foundation. Denominations are not the foundations. Creeds are not the foundations. Confessions of faith are not the foundations. They're helpful. They're nice. They're not the foundations. Ethical humanism is not the foundation. Nor good works is the foundation. It's Christ. Christ alone. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 24. And this will be quite familiar. It's a parable. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man, there's our word wise, who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. A rock that doesn't move. And then he gives the negative. The one who builds on the sand. We know that. We know what happens there. Building on the rock. Well, that makes us turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 which is a quote out of the Old Testament. Starting in verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, in the what we know as the Old Testament. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, 
He is precious. Is He precious to you? But to those who are disobedient, here we go, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. To the unbeliever, he is a rock of offense. He is a scandal on. It's offensive. But to those who believe, he is precious. Jesus Christ is the rock, the foundation. The religious leaders of Jesus' time, whenever He lived on earth, did not see Jesus as the very center, as the very foundation. They rejected this rock. It was a stumbling stone. It was an a rock of offense. And they stumbled all over Him as they built their houses on the sand. And built it on the rock because they didn't see Him as being the center of attention in the rock. God's kingdom is built on Christ and every individual pleases, or, uh, pleases God whenever they have built, been built on the foundation. Of course, He's the one that uh, puts us in that, doesn't He? Now, that's verse 11. That's the foundation. Let's move to the third one, which is dealing with the materials. Verse 12. And you see in verse 11, it said, which is Jesus Christ, right? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. The materials are found here. And the classification of materials was found in the building customs of the time of Paul. Matter of fact, all of these were used in building. The great public buildings were erected and constructed out of marble and granite. The roofs were decorated with silver and gold. You can imagine in Corinth they had those, and in Athens, the great cities, they had great buildings there. And some still exist today. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? They're still still kind of standing. Um, but the poor people didn't live in those kind of houses. They resided in places that were made with wood, uh, straw, thatch on the top, straw roofs, thatched, stubble, that kind of thing. That's, that's the kind of building that went on. Now we're going to first look at the superior materials, and obviously we know what those are. They're valuable. One reason they're valuable is because they're not easy to get. Nothing is easy to get if you want something that's precious. You have to find these under the ground. You have to dig for them. Not easy. Not easy to go and dig these. These have to be hunted down and then dug up. You don't even know where they're at. You don't even know where to start digging sometimes. The buildings of Paul's days were uh, built with these precious metals, and even the jewels that they would have in there to decorate. The temples of Corinth were elaborate. They were beautiful. And it would draw one's attention as they look into that city, decorated with silver and gold. And there was a fire there at one time. All those little buildings of straw, stubble, wood, burnt down. But guess what was standing? It's those buildings that were made with the uh, lasting materials. They survived a fire as many other 
homes were just burnt down in the city of a wildfire. We're to be building with the best of materials. God signifies the greatest faithfulness and the most skillful with these kind hearts. Gold and silver, precious stones. They have to be hunted and dug up. It's work. It takes effort. It takes his strength to do that. But they're worth the effort, aren't they? you got to dig. But it's worth the effort. Only the Lord can determine which works are of high quality and the ones are not. And He will make that judgment. There can be church programs and activities and projects and all the neat, cool things that go on. What, do you, what does your church do? We do that. We have this. We have that. Here's what we have done. Here's how many we baptized. We did. And when, boy, when you start hearing the word we, be thinking, hmm, that really bothers me. Went to a church one time. It was a brand new building. Pretty new. People had come out of a uh, just started a church there and it, it, it had grown and they, had, they got this great, nice building. It was really nice in there. And I remember one guy that said, yeah, nobody better mess with it because it's my baby. And he said it just like that. And it just floored me. I go, oh, I was a young Christian at the time, but man, that highly offended me because I knew that there was going to be problems. And there has been. Uh, other people saw it that way too because they were the ones that planned this out. And they did this. They did that. You know, the physical building. And they had all these activities and everything. But it, that's, uh, that's not what we're talking about. I mean, those things can be useful. They can be very helpful. God uses those. Great. If God has a ministry that He raises somebody up and they do, well, great. But the, the thing is, uh, if the motives aren't correctly put behind those. Those are going to be strong and stubborn. Whenever a teacher teaches the truth, that's gold and silver, precious stone. Whenever I teach principles here, and if it's truly out of the Word of God, which I hope it be, and if it's not, somebody better be throwing stones at me. <laughs> it better be coming out of here. If you hear anything else, that's not supported by this, then you know you gotta you gotta tell me. But whenever in your life you teach, you learn sound doctrine and you teach it and you obey that sound doctrine, or you pass it on to somebody else, that's gold and silver and precious stones. When you are doing that because you want to see them edified to be built up, that is what he's saying here. Whenever you're motivated by willful, unselfish love for the glory of God, that is this. It's gold and silver and precious stones. Whenever your daily conduct is holy and righteous and your service is done for the glory of God and it's beneficial for another believer or one who's an unbeliever, and you're faithful with that, that's gold and silver and precious stones. We can know that for sure. And God knows and God will evaluate it and you will be rewarded. You can say, well, I don't want any rewards because that's just drawing too much attention. Listen, I want to tell you, there's a reason why this passage is here. I want all the rewards that I can get, not just to get them so I can, I can look good to people. If that's the reason, that is wood, hay, and stubble. 
Even if I can teach all the right things, if that is my motive, shame on me. That's worthless. And that will not go into heaven. But if it be for the glory of God, I'm glad He's the one that sorts all these out. But sometimes it can be for drawing attention to self. And now all of a sudden that work, even though it might be edifying other people, I love the teaching. But if my motive is, hey, I really like to be in front of people and make people think I'm really good, my work is worthless. That's going to burn up. How about the inferior materials? Wood, hay, and straw. Now, these things can be found real easy. You don't have to go and start digging underneath the ground. The other ones you do, don't you? Precious metals. They're found on the surface of the earth. Doesn't take much work to get to them. Perishables are in the majority. You're going to find a lot more wood, hay, stubble than you are going to be seeing the gold and silver and the precious jewels. In, in the body of Christ. doesn't take much work. And each can be useful in building, you know, wood, hay, and stubble, even hay or grass. People make huts out of them. Good old grass huts. Have a grass roof. But you know what? God is not going to have huts up there in heaven. You know what I'm talking about? He is not going to allow uh, straw homes to be there. Thank the Lord. And uh, He's going to test them by fire. And those kind of huts are going to burn up. They're going to be done. Look in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. <laughs> what? Or just average, everyday use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. Hmm. Here he's saying there's, there's uh, vessels of honor and there's vessels of dishonor. And... Uh, that's like inferior materials and superior materials. So I would say that it really isn't fitting to put a mud hut on the foundation of Christ, is it? We want the best. Um, you can say, well, what are these? Are, are, are they gifts, talents? Uh, what are you talking about? Wealth, maybe? Something like that? No, they're not that. The materials represent the believer's response to what God has given them. Yeah, He gives us gifts, but those gifts can be wood, hay, and stubble if we don't use them right. It's talking about using what He has given. It's how we serve with those gifts and talents and such. But it, it actually is our responses represent our works. Uh, these materials, gold, silver, precious stones, represent our good works that are true and that are uh, valuable. Something that God has uh, given us to do. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. It says a great prayer for them. 
that they would have wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10, he says, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Now look at this. Fully pleasing Him. Fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in a couple of works. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. New revised version. No. Being fruitful in every good work. In every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, that sounds like Ephesians, doesn't it? Or we've been studying on Monday nights. Remember, Ephesians and Colossians are very parallel. Uh, but they're saying you can't be a Christian and say, okay, now I'm going to take a break. Ah, kick back and just take it easy. I don't have to do anything. I'm a Christian now. I'm saved. And uh, hey, I'll wait for the kingdom. No. We can't do that. He, he prays here that they would do good works and they would fully please God. Everything would be fruitful. That it wouldn't be unfruitful, but, but fruitful. Now, we know that. Do works get people saved? Of course not. But they do show the marks of believers. So you can tell somebody's a Christian if they are doing good works and those good works are honoring and glorifying to God and they're dying daily to themselves and giving themselves up for Him. All Christians are builders. We are builders on this foundation. Every one of us here, God wants us to use the best materials possible. You know why? Not because it makes us look good. Because He deserves the best. Right? That's why He's going to burn up the huts. He wants the best. We should serve the Lord with our very best. Everything that we have. What He's given us. Now, what are the ways that Christians can can build for the Lord? What are the ways they can do that? Well, I mentioned earlier, motives is one way to build for the Lord. What, what is the motive? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. I think this is quite wise here. This is the next chapter over. Not too many verses from there, right? Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from men. Whoops, missed again. Bad version. Praise comes from who? God. It's so easy to want to have praise from mankind. And oh, we need to be reminded of this is so much. It's nice to have encouragement. I'm not saying, hey, don't ever encourage people because it might build them up too much and because they might get a big head. Um, encourage them on. You know, in as far as scripture, but you know, we don't want them to be bragging. But uh, eventually, here's where it really comes, though. Too, the praise really comes from God. Uh, that means He rewards us, and whatever is in our heart, He's going to reveal. He's going to shine that light on. Whatever is useless, boom, it's out of here. Whatever is for His glory and goes right into the kingdom, you wouldn't want anything less than the best in heaven, right? So he's just going to get rid of all that stuff. Anyway, our purpose is always to serve the Lord. God knows our motives. Uh, The works, sometimes that look like gold to God, may look like stubble in God's eyes. We may think it's gold, but it may not be gold at all. It might be fool's gold, right? 
why we do something is important. That's why we get into the motive. Why are you, why are you doing that? It's good to examine ourselves sometimes. Okay, why am I doing this? Yeah, it's, it's a ministry, but why am I doing this ministry? Am I doing it just to be busy? I know I'm supposed to be doing something, so I'll just do this. That, uh, your heart's really not in it. Um, it should be for God's glory, right? Then, if you go over to his next epistle in chapter 5, verse 10, not only is it motives, but it's our conduct. And that means how we live, our manner of living, our manner of life. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear, here we go, before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. That's the place where the rewards are going to come from. That's where Christ is at. That each one may receive the things done in the body, right here, right now, in time and space according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, whoa, Paul, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. I like that. We are well known to God. God knows us. But uh, Paul, in defending himself, says, but we hope you know that what we're doing here is has been the right motive too in your consciences. He had to defend himself in Second Corinthians. Remember that epistle? But he says in this judgment seat of Christ, boy, this hits right on uh, the head, doesn't it? Wow, this is pretty heavy today here, Dennis. Almost, almost can get you shaking in your boots. Sandals. Anyway, motives. What's our conduct? Whenever he says uh, bad there, it means worthless. It produces no gain. Our conduct can be good or it can be just worthless. Just something that's going, not going to eternity. And another uh, aspect of this is service. The ways that Christians build for the Lord, what's their motive? How's their conduct? What if you have your mo- uh, what if you have um, wrong living? Chances are the motives are not going to be right either. Um, your service is going to be fake. So motives and conduct is all important, isn't it? And we're to be vessels for use as we minister in His name. Now we move to verse thirteen, back to chapter three, First Corinthians. And this is the test. Here we go. Has it occurred to us that we're actually, we're really going to stand before Christ at this behemothy? Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. You know, this is rather humbling when you really look at this. I mean, this, I think this is very serious for believers. Uh, there's a fire. And the fire is used as a symbol of a revealing agent. A cleansing agent, a revealing. It's, it's like putting the light on it. But when Christ returns, He will have absolute perfect standards. And anything less than that perfect uh, work uh, will not enter into the kingdom. You can say, well, how can I ever be perfect? Well, 
It's because of the Holy Spirit's work that's in your life. It's the grace that He's given you. And so that's how it can be perfect. Anything that is not gold, silver, precious stones, it'll be like dross. It'll be burnt off that gold or that silver. And all you'll get is the gold. That's all you want anyway, right? You don't want the dross to go in there. You want that out of there. Um, That dross stuff does not pass the inspection of the laws of eternity because it's not really real. So that great day, what God is going to do is pluck off all the disguises that people are putting on and all the masks that Christians do. He's going to take them off and He's going to go right on inside into the bone and the marrow, if you may, as Hebrews talks about. God will have no mercy on the works that are inferior. No mercy at all. They're gone, man. They're going to be burnt, burnt to a crisp out of here. That's good. But in another sense, I think it's humbling to us. The ones which stand the test will be the reward. Everything that is true. When you get to the, uh, the Bema seat, there's going to be a lot of people surprised after what's left after the test. All those people that we thought were so great in the Lord may not be exactly what you thought or what some other people think. You've got the false teachers out there today and you think of the the Osteens and the Hagans and uh, Copelands and those guys. You can go on and on. Creflo Dollar and such. And I think you know that those works are going to be absolutely burned up. And I'm not even, I, I don't make the judgments. I'm glad God does. But some of those people, I even question if they're really even believers. But those works are absolutely worthless, whatever it is. I can say that. Because they're, they're preaching a different gospel. That's how I can judge that. Some dear saints out of nowhere. This is what's going to be surprising. There are going to be some saints we've never even heard of, have no idea who they were. Uh, They come from a different nation. And uh, maybe they didn't have the opportunities that we have, but they're going to have the greatest rewards of all. There's going to be a lot of people like that we're going to be surprised with. And only God knows that. So that's why it would behoove us with all that we have been given, which is the max. The total Word of God. We have the teaching of the Word of God. We believe it. We have all sorts of books, CDs, MP3s just surrounding us. Constantly, it's there. And if you don't have those things, you can get it in a moment. You can get it from anybody in here. Say, hey, I'd like a DVD. I'd like a CD. I'd like this book. Somebody will get it. We'll get it to you. Uh, So we have a wealth, more than a wealth of information about our great God. Written from some of the greatest saints ever. You know, you think of the Calvins and Luthers and the Bunyans and the John Owens and on and on and on and on, all the way up to the present writers. We have access to those to help us interpret Scripture even better. We have all sorts of different Bibles and study Bibles. I go on this all the time, but let me tell you, don't be wasting that because you can be using that for yourself and others. So uh, make sure that you use what God has been given you. Okay. Feel pretty bad on that one? Verse 14. <laughs> uh, hey, this is hard sometimes, folks. Uh, I have to warn myself. Believe me. Wow, I, I work in a bookstore. And so I have books coming in even more than anybody else. 
you know, I've got, wow, okay. See what I mean? <laughs> this is a warning to me. Verse 14, If anyone's work, which he has built on, and endures, he will receive a reward. That's God's honest truth. You're going to receive a reward. I don't want a reward. He doesn't have to do that. That's, that's fake. Yes, you do want rewards. There's something to shoot for. You want the best that you can get because He's going to get glorified. Two kinds of builders. One is constructive. The other is worthless. Verse 15. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. When somebody teaches and preaches the Word of God faithfully and accurately, they're building with good materials. Teaching, preaching, serving others by using your gifts, that's, that's where you're supposed to be. You're constructive. Uh, serving others. The, the materials that you use will endure the test. When one lives a holy life and pursues Christ, you will get a reward. You're building with good materials. The work will remain when the fire hits. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 9.25. Let's take a look at a few verses dealing with rewards. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Same book, right? Same epistle here. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. He's comparing running in the marathon or the Olympics. And if they, they do it to receive the prize. So he said, okay, a Christian competes for that prize like they would in the sense that they're going to get a crown, but it's going to be eternal the works that they're doing or this building up, they're running in this race, exercising and, and uh, doing the training. Uh, I understand we have a couple of trainers out there right now running and uh, you're making your dad run with you. <laughs> All right. Get some video. <laughs> Bet you can beat him. <laughs> Without the challenge. <laughs> I just now thought of that. I saw, I saw that note yesterday. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Do you want the crown of glory? Do you want that? When the chief shepherd appears, there's a crown of glory. That's, that's a reward there. Are you looking for him? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 7. These are dealing with rewards. And I know there are some people that do not want to talk about rewards. As a matter of fact, they totally ignore these verses that we're dealing with. And they said, Christians aren't going to get rewards. I'm talking about mainline denominations that will avoid these things because that's sanctification. And when you talk about sanctification, you're talking about your own works and your own glory. We get, we're just sinners. Saved by grace is what they say. Well, that's true. But we still have obligations and responsibilities as Christians. 
He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What do you think? You think he did things? That was the Apostle Paul. Well, he's not God. He's man like us. Finally, there is laid up for me. Look at Paul. What's laid up for you, Paul? The crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Do you want that crown? How many here are looking forward to Jesus Christ coming back? I would have a yay from everybody and they go, yay, yay. They'd put all their hands up, legs up, whatever they can for that one, right? You're going to get a crown for that. That's a reward. But do you know there are Christians that really aren't looking forward to Christ coming back because they're going to be judged, their, their works, and, and they know they're not ready. And they have a wedding that's getting ready to come up and they'd rather have a, a marriage Rather than being married to the Lamb, I've heard of people doing that. Yeah, I want to get married first and then it can be a few years later, you know. I'm saying, man, no. <laughs> I mean, marriage is great, but it's nothing compared to what this is, right? Okay, First uh, Thessalonians two, nineteen and twenty. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? What is it? It is not even Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. You know, he's talking to the Thessalonians here. And he's saying, you are our crown of rejoicing. We rejoice because of what God did with them. He saved them and and sanctified them. And uh, being in the presence, whenever He comes back, I'm going to be right there with you. Isn't that a great joy? And you are our crown. They are witnesses to what God had done through Paul's ministry. This is rejoicing. When you bring, when you are used to bring somebody to Jesus Christ, when when you've seen somebody come to Christ or somebody grow, don't you rejoice over that? Not one of the greatest rejoicings that can ever be when somebody is brought to the Lord and He's working in that. James chapter one verse twelve. And just to think, I'm going through these, just a few of these, just to show you that I'm not taking something out of context because you'll hear from people, we, we don't believe in rewards. And I've heard from very people that I consider to be very solid theologically, but they don't want to talk about these. Why is it in here? That's why we're going over this. Paul believed it. Because the Holy Spirit believes it. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, when he's been tested and tried, and the dross is burnt off, and when you see what, what's real, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Christ promises that. It's the Word of God. I think the people who take that view will lose. <laughs> they might even lose their rewards if you don't believe in rewards because you're not believing God's Word. These are just a few scriptures. Constructive workers. That's what constructive workers will get. What about the worthless workers? Well, they'll be saved. So is through fire. Hmm. If anyone's work is burned... He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. They will be tested. 
There will be the fire, and after, and that is not talking about purgatory. We're talking about rewards here. Uh, we've already been judged. Our sins have. But this is talking about the reward. They'll lose those. It's not the question of what the man is. It's what the man has done after he is. If he's put in the position of Jesus Christ and he's in the church, he's saved. But the question is, what has he done with what God has given him? You know, salvation is a matter of faith. But sanctification is a matter of faithfulness. Our faithfulness to Him. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Don't let anyone cheat you out of your reward with them coming in with some kind of vain philosophies, other kind of wisdoms that the world has. When we rely on anything else other than the Word of God and His truth, it is worthless. Don't build on that, right? Last one. And it is the temple. 16 and 17. There are two passages in 1 Corinthians that deal with the temple. This is dealing with the whole body of Christ. In chapter 6, it's dealing with the individual uh, that is a temple. Do you not know that you're the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you as He's speaking to the whole church? Don't you know this? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. There are two passages. The temple is collective here. Um, It's a meeting place for God and man. That's what a temple is all about. It was for fellowship. It was for worship. It was for blessing. It was to be made holy. It was to be made clean. That's the idea of a temple, right? The body of Christ is the temple. Every believer is a temple of God also. The Holy Spirit dwells in Him. Chapter 6, I don't have the time, but uh, you go there, you'll see that. Uh, this is a warning to the Corinthians about destroying the unity, dividing the individuals that were uh, in this collective temple there in Corinth. They were having contentious parties, the party spirit, division, strife. The temple of the believers must be kept pure. The body of Christ is to be kept pure and holy and united. So he says, if anyone destroys temple, the temple, God will destroy him. What is going on here? I think this is dreadful. I don't think it's hypothetical either. I think it happens all the time. It's happening today. It happened in this country 150 years ago, in New England, where there was once some teaching of the great reformers and where the Puritans lived, and then not too long after that, it started being watered down. Churches that were once evangelical and reformed and had the Word of God and taught it with Christ as the foundation, a church got a Unitarian pastor. And at first, he didn't declare himself openly what he really believed in. But he began to build a structure which by a little bit of time, And little by little, it changed the edifice or that structure that was on the foundation. Within a matter of years, 
you could look down and realize that that structure was now so out of line and off the foundation of Christ, it no longer rested on the foundation. That is true. And that's why in New England today, you will be hard, it will be very hard to find very biblical rooted churches, especially in Boston. You hear about that. Much of New England. Look at the history they had. They had the American Puritans. Cotton Mathers and others. Many of those. They were great in the Lord. But there's two ways to remove a foundation. That's one of them. That's, we're talking about trying to destroy a church. One is to attack the foundation directly. Boom! Just hit it right head on. And break it up. Hit the foundation. Come in there with a bulldozer and just crunch it. The other is to slowly, subtly reshape that building. And all of a sudden, the contours aren't fitting the foundation. And then all of a sudden, it's off the foundation. That's where the church has gone in America. That's why we have very little excitement in the churches today. I talk to people in churches where, you know, like, for instance, they, they, they have the same people that come Sunday morning. They have less people, maybe 10 people out of 100 people come on Sunday nights. And then Wednesday, you might have four or five people come together and pray. What is the problem? What is going on? Is not the Word of God and meeting with God's people important to you? And I have to question, what is the motive of those people? And that is from what's supposed to be conservative churches. I talk to youth pastors and pastors all the time, and I've been asking them that question, what's going on? Less and less people are attending. Less and less people really are excited about the things of the Lord. And uh, it's becoming very dead quickly, even in churches that preach the gospel. Let us not ever be that way. I never want to lose more numbers. I want our numbers to come up because we're faithfully preaching the Word of God that people would be attracted. And they can say, yeah, there's a place I can go and I can worship there and I know they're going to give me the Word of God. Would you guys be in agreement with that? There are some people out there that need this truth. Build on it. Application. John Piper gave me a few ideas. I'm going to close this out real quick. He says, be vigilant vigilant to keep Christ as foundation of the church. Number two, let's make sure that the building blocks of our doctrine follow the beautiful contours of the foundation. Number three, let's take the attitude of our church and set them on the lines of the foundation and see where it might be off base and in need of correction and correct it. And let's bring all of our ministries and all the ideas that we have and our financial goals and let them be transparent and, and going right to the blueprint of this foundation. Let Christ be the one and only foundation. We need to keep this ever in mind that Christ is coming back and uh, who He is and what He's about. Revelation 22.12, last, uh, last verse here. Are you ready? This is, this is beautiful. This is a good way to close it. And this is comforting. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. Don't you like that? I can't wait. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
Use your time wisely. Let's use that and that we have here on earth that He has given us. Let's use it. Let's use the opportunities that He's given. Let's don't become the church that happened in New England. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your greatness, Your majesty, Your holiness. Oh, Lord, You are awesome indeed. Your glory is great. You are in this in the, the body of Christ. And You are the one who equips us. You put us on the foundation. Help us to build on this foundation. We give You all the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.